have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us this morning. Hey, just uh, one reminder, uh, this Friday is uh, Christmas, uh, when is Christmas Eve? Is it Thursday or Friday? It's Friday. Some people want to put the Christ back in Christmas. Let's put the Christ back in Christian first, <clears throat> and then let's focus on uh, putting the Christ back in Christmas. Anyways, you get that on the replay, but uh, we're going to be doing... Uh, pursuit ornament giveaway for the first 2,000 guests on Candlelight. We release an ornament every year, and uh, we want you to be a part of that. So anyways, invite a friend. Uh, we have limited availability on these. We expect a full house, uh, but we're going to be rallying here for Candlelight, 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m. We got animals. We got camels. We got reindeer. We got all sorts of animals coming in the foyer. We got Santa Claus. We got pictures. It's going to be a riot here uh, for candlelight. So go ahead and join us. And one of my favorite services, one of my favorite services all year. I, I don't know about you, but it feels like during the holiday season, that's when you get hit with all these letters from the credit card company letting you know you've been pre-qualified for more debt. You ever get these? I was thinking about this this morning, but uh, all of us... Uh, uh, have met the bare minimum qualification for salvation, which is this fact, that you're a sinner. You're all pre-qualified this morning by virtue of Adam's nature. For when Adam sinned, all of humanity came into sin. But when the second Adam hung on the cross, all of humanity was invited into righteousness. And for you and I today, we recognize I have been pre-qualified by virtue of my fallen state, I've been pre-qualified to receive salvation and the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I wish churches could be built around perfect people, but they're not. They're built around a perfect God, worshiped by imperfect people. I, I tell people this all the time, but if you find a perfect church, please, please, please do not show up because you will ruin it when you walk in. <clears throat> we are imperfect people in an imperfect building in the midst of an imperfect service, but we are worshiping the most perfect thing to ever exist in all of humanity. And this is the reality of Jesus. And for us, it's just my encouragement, don't get lost in the busyness of the season. Don't get lost in the commercialization of the next couple of days and couple of weeks. No, we keep our eyes on Christ, the, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we recognize that as believers, every day is a good day to give thanks, to give honor, for who God is, for what he continues to do through our life. I, 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 I heard it said this way once, that everybody believes in the virgin birth. Either you believe in the virgin birth of the universe or the virgin birth of the Messiah. Pick your miracle. As believers, we attest to this reality that in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, born to die to take away the sins of the world, and now through the veil of his torn flesh, we enter into right relationship with God, seated in heavenly places. Pick your miracle. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Hey, this morning, I wanted to share with you a sermon out of the book of Acts, uh, starting in, in, in chapter 16. A sermon I've entitled, Holy Work, that tells the story of Paul on his second missionary journey. But we're going to land in Luke 2, where the Christmas story starts. And in doing so, I want you to connect, in a theological sense, the labor of your hands to the significance of the kingdom of God, which is increasing and advancing all around you. I think so often, 
as believers, we subscribe to a pagan dualism that causes us to separate the sacred work of spirituality from all of the quote-unquote secular work around us. And today, I want you to reimagine your life and reimagine your vocation and reimagine what you put your hand on the plow to do as part of the sacred narrative that God is weaving together in this season, bringing all things together for the good of those who love him. Which means this, whether or not you ever carry the title of a pastor, whether or not you ever work inside the four walls of a church, what you do matters because God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul has an experience in a city called Philippi that's the result of a vision that he has while in Asia Minor. Starting in verse 6, the Bible says this, Now when they, Paul and Silas, had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden, not by the enemy, not by the devil, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now watch, friend, even the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Paul is trying to preach, but the Spirit knows the soil isn't yet ready for the seed of the gospel to be planted. Paul isn't trying to sin in Asia Minor. Paul isn't trying to get involved in foolishness in Asia Minor. The Bible says he's trying to preach in Asia Minor. It was a good thing, but it wasn't a God thing because it wasn't in God's timing. Because even the right thing at the wrong time can cause harm to your life. And you got to know this morning that God is just as much at work in my closed doors as he is in my open doors. See, sometimes God saves me for something specific, but other times he saves me from something specific. And I know that you know that God has saved you from hell, but he didn't just save you from hell. He saved you from that car crash that had your name on it but you was running five minutes late that day, so it skipped over you. He saved you from that relationship that would have destroyed you had you hung on to it. He saved you from that financial deal that would have bankrupted you had you signed your name to it. He saved you from that job offer that would have corrupted you had you accepted it. It looked like a closed door, but in reality, it was God by his spirit saving Paul for the task that was ahead. See, when God places the key of David on your shoulder, it's to open doors that no man can shut, but it's also to close doors that no man can open. And here's the reality. If we trust Holy Spirit as the compass to our life, then what we are saying is direct me in the way that I should go, that I will never depart from it. Be the light and the lamp upon my path. Make my path straight. The highways low, the low ways high, the crooked ways stay. Prepare a way for me to walk in it. And whatever closed door you give me, I'm still going to worship because I know there's something greater on the other side. See, so many of us take closed doors as a sign of displeasure from God, when the reality is, is that God is saving you for something more specific, more blessing, more abundant than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. And if we could just trust God with the outcomes, we would know that he's seen things that we haven't. The next time God changes your plans, the next time you face disappointment over a closed door, just begin to thank God because something 
better is on the way. Every time I drive to this building, I have to drive by the furniture store that we tried to buy before getting JCPenney. Some of you shopped at that furniture store. You know what I'm talking about right there on 2nd Street, that old Bramble store. Looked like a nuclear fallout shelter from the 1800s. Looked like it had been through a couple wars. I think it might be where COVID started. I mean, it's the... They're producing the new variants. I mean, it's just... But see, what people don't know is that we had a contract to buy that building. And we announced it on a Sunday morning at our last facility. And we raised money to buy that building. And we prayer walked that building. And we had plans to remodel that building. And after we had announced it, the owner saw fit to pull out of his own contract and not give us that building. And I was upset. And I was embarrassed. And I thought, God, we were just asking for a bigger space, and this is what we get, and where am I going to go? And airing all my grievances, and it's like the Holy Spirit knocked on the door of my heart and said, would you just consider that I am just as much at work in the closed doors as I am in the open? Hey, I'm going to bring something better. I'm going to bring something bigger. I'm going to bring something you didn't deserve. I'm going to bring something that wasn't even on your purview. I'm going to bring something that wasn't even in your perspective. I am in the business of doing exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Though sometimes God saves you for it, but other times he saves you from it. And he is at, he is at, he is at work just as much in my closed doors as he has in my open doors. Listen, Paul was playing checkers, but God was playing chess. And God made Paul the answer to another person's prayer. I want you to see how the Holy Spirit works. God laid a place and a person on Paul's heart. Paul responds in obedience and in doing so helps unlock the destiny of a person and a place. Somebody was praying in the region. And God sent to church. Somebody was praying in the region, so God sent to people. Somebody was praying in Macedonia, so God raised up an army. Somebody was praying in the Northwest, so God revived some dead bones. Somebody somewhere was petitioning God for an awakening, and so God began to put it in the heart of some people, and out came pursuit. Friend, I've heard the call. It's not just from Snohomish. It's from Seattle and beyond. It looks like this. Come and help us. It looks desperate. It looks hopeless. It looks beyond. Beyond help, but come and help us. There is still a remnant left praying that God would remember this place according to mercy. God sends people as answers to prayers that other people have prayed. Unfortunately, most of our prayers look like this. Here am I, Lord, send somebody else. I don't know why God desires to partner with humanity, but he does. I think so often, even though we trend towards free will, I think so often we wish God would just snap his fingers, bypass humanity, and do what he needs to do. But for whatever reason, God has made covenant with man and decided to partner with us in the great work of his kingdom. And today this church is the result of a Macedonian call. Somebody somewhere was praying, so God sent a people. So next time you're praying, just be careful because God might make you part of the answer that you've been praying for. And in doing so, help unlock a person and a place. In verse 11, it says this, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day we came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony. And they were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath... 
we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down, we spoke to a woman who met there. Now that woman's name was Lydia, and she heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, and she worshiped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. And when she and her household was baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Hear me, friend. Lydia was a clothing designer, a merchant in the city, a businesswoman who was likely either divorced or widowed, a woman of wealth. The early church met in her house, and it was apparently big enough to hold several families. The first person to get saved on the European continent, the first church to be planted on the European continent, the first fruit of Paul's Macedonian call on his second missionary journey was a female fashion designer named Lydia. Don't tell me that God can't reach the city. Don't tell me that Christianity can't impact the culture. Don't tell me the Bible is so outdated we need to change it in order to reach millennials. Don't tell me we have to water things down in order to appeal to creatives. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by his spirit, he is still saving people from every sphere of society. The gospel found an avenue through a fashion designer who excelled in the making of cloth that was dyed purple. They got this dye from the secretion of sea snails on the coast next to Philippi. It was just a woman who was interested in making clothes. It was just a casual conversation at the riverside. It was just a chance encounter. But when God finds simple obedience, all of heaven rushes in. And it was the result of Paul being willing to say no to a good thing so he could say yes to a God thing. Not every good thing deserves your attention, your time, and your affection. Because sometimes we become enslaved to the good and we miss out on the great. It sounded good. It looked good. But there is a way that seems good. <clears throat> but in the end, it leads to destruction. Friend, your work is holy. Not because of what field you're in, but because of whose kingdom you serve. Your work is holy. Not because of how much money you make, but because of how willing you are to give it away. Your work is holy. Not because of the title you get or the benefits you have, but because you are a redemptive seed that has been planted in the soil of the Northwest and whatever you set your hand forth to do will prosper. And when God prospers a people, the nations take note. Listen, fashion designer. Listen, tech entrepreneur, listen, website developer, listen, business owner, preschool worker, construction helper, public school teacher, financial advisor, real estate agent. Your work isn't holy when it happens in church. Your work becomes holy when it's dedicated to the Lord. You know, the first about two and a half years of this church, church was small. We're growing. Some years we actually grew in the wrong direction. Didn't know what we were doing, just trying to be faithful and obedient to follow the Lord. You know, if God told you what the journey would look like when you begun the journey, none of us would do it. That's why God doesn't owe you an explanation for how things end. Because he's the God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And in doing so, we fear no evil. For about the first two and a half years of this church plant, man, we were so broke. <laughs> just trying to figure out how to pay the bills to make this thing work. And 
living with our in-laws and saving every penny and just, just trying to figure out, have I heard God or am I crazy? I had a buddy who started a pest control business. He said, man, I got some extra work. If you're looking to make some extra money, yes. So for the first two and a half years of this church plant, I spent most of my week in crawl spaces, cleaning out rats, mice, vermin of all kinds, spiders, bed bugs, you name it, we dealt with it. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't reflective of my title. It wasn't super anointed. I didn't feel like a rock star. I didn't feel like, man, I've arrived. This is it. Look at how awesome and privileged I could ever be. It was just simple obedience. But I'll tell you what, God met me in those crawl spaces. God met me in those attics. God met me in those messy cleanouts. And he reminded me, Russell, this is only a season. Russell, this is part of your development. Russell, this is part of your inner life. Russell, this is part of your hidden heart. I'm strengthening you. I'm encouraging you. There are going to be seasons when you work full time at the church and you want to quit. And I'm going to remind you that I took you out of the crawl space. I'm going to remind you of the season that you came out of. Your work is not any less holy in a crawl space than it is when you stand behind a pole. For whatever you set your hand forth to do, I'm going to prosper. Whatever you set your hand forth to do, do it as unto the Lord. Why? Because my favor isn't on your activity. It's on your identity. See, so often we attach the favor of God or the friendship of God to the performance of our particular job title. And then we live most of our lives under the bondage of insignificance, feeling like if I could just get a title at a church, if I could just sit in an office throughout the week, if I could just get the microphone and preach on stage, then finally somehow, some way, God would be pleased with me. No, God was pleased with you when he called you to be a barista. God was pleased with you when he put you in a public school classroom. God was pleased with you when you were working in the crawl space. God's favor is on your identity, not on your activity. Now, we need people all across the region coming into fullness, coming into who God created them to be, not abandoning their spheres of influence, but redeeming their spheres of influence. Friend, you know there's a difference between can't work and won't work. Now, our society don't understand the difference, but there is a difference. There is a difference between can't work and won't work. Be leery of any government policy that somehow tries to incentivize people not to work. Why? Because a government big enough to do everything for you is a government big enough to take it all away. Now, there's a difference between can't work and won't work. See, friend, there is something intrinsically spiritual about work. Hear me. God meets Moses while he is at work. God speaks to David while he is at work. God delivers Joseph through the avenue of work. Jesus works as a carpenter. The disciples work as fishermen. Paul works as a tent maker. And the first thing that God does in the garden after making Adam and Eve is give them a job. The God of the universe who created everything in six days and then took the seventh day off just to show off creates Adam out of dirt, Eve out of Adam, and the first thing he does is put them to work. Why? Because there is something intrinsically spiritual about your labor. God created the heavens and the earth. Certainly he could have also named the animals, 
But because God understands the spiritual significance of having a job and having a purpose and having a responsibility, he left work for Adam and Eve to do. And guess what? He's left work for us to do as well. It is not the object of your work that makes your labor significant. It's the fact that you woke up, put your hand to the plow, didn't look back and trusted God with the outcome. That's what makes this special. This room is filled today with literally hundreds of different occupations. Hear me as your pastor, your work matters. Providing for your family, it matters. Providing for the kingdom, it matters. Contributing to the economy, it matters. Your work is spiritual because it is a reflection of the image that you bear. No, it's significant. It's not just significant when it happens on a stage. It's not just significant if you have some sort of title that makes you feel spiritual. It's significant when nobody appreciates it. It's significant when you show up even when you don't feel like it. It's significant when you crucify your need for constant thrills and commit to pick up your cross and follow him. It's significant when you say, God, I know that there's something better, but until you open the next door, I'm gonna be faithful with the little that you've given me. It's significant when you're responsible. It's significant when you allow the sweat of your brow and the labor of your life to honor God with the excellence of your production. It's significance and it matters. And it matters. Now, don't be offended for the next couple minutes here. Just let me say some things and turn off your offense switch just for a minute. Listen, young woman. If the man you're pursuing can't be faithful at the $40,000 a year job, he won't be faithful at the $140,000 a year job. Money doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. Listen, young man, if the woman you're pursuing can't do math, spends the entirety of the household income on things that don't matter, won't help around the house, you haven't found your soulmate, all you found is dead weight. More marriage doesn't change who you are, it reveals who you are. How I steward my work is a reflection of how I steward my spirituality. I can't afford dysfunction in these areas of my life because even as our poets say, in him I live, in him I move, and in him I have my being. There's a young gal in our young adult ministry a number of years ago asking my advice on a guy that she liked. She said, Pastor, what do you think? I said, you don't wanna know. <laughs> Let me ask you some questions. Does he work? Does he tithe? Does he serve? Is he faithful with the small? Does he show up? Does he have a job? Well, not yet, but I can help him, pastor. But I can change him, pastor. No, money doesn't change you, it reveals you. Marriage doesn't change you, it reveals you. Fame doesn't change you, it reveals you. Influence doesn't change you, it reveals you. The only thing that can change you is the power of God's spirit moving on your life. Now watch what Paul says to the church in Colossae. Chapter three, verse 23, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from God as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Yeah, some people worship their work. We call this idolatry. Other people reject the very idea of work and we call this laziness. Yet mature believers see work as an avenue of mission and properly value it as an important but not all-consuming function in their life. Someone said to me recently, they said, Pastor, I can't, I can't wait to get to heaven. 
I said, well, we all feel that on some days, but I said, why do you feel that this day? Pastor, I can't wait to go to heaven where there will finally be no more work. I took him to Isaiah 65. Isaiah the prophet has a vision of the new Jerusalem. He says, in this new heavens and new earths, we will build houses and we will plant vineyards. Hear me, friend, work isn't the curse. Striving is the curse. When Christ broke the curse, part of what was announced was that we don't work for approval, we work from it. Can I just challenge some of you business owners today? You don't have a Christian business. You know why? Because businesses can't get saved. But people can. And when redeemed people put their hand to the plow, watch, even the ground they walk on becomes holy. The desert floor that Moses stood on, bare feet, while watching his father-in-law's sheep became the most holy place of encounter in the entire Old Testament because God met a man while he was at work. And when I don't view my work as an opportunity to serve the kingdom, I miss the opportunities that come knocking on my door. Watch, let me prove it to you, Luke 2. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David, he was registered to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they was there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, watch, because there was no room for them in the end. The most profound birth in human history. And yet somebody who was working a desk job at a hotel missed an opportunity to participate in the greatest story ever told. It wasn't the nature of the job, but instead the nature of the individual that caused this person to overlook the birth of the king. My common work becomes an avenue for my participation in an uncommon kingdom when I think right about the spiritual value of my labor. So your desk job is an avenue of God's kingdom. Your CEO job, it's an avenue of God's kingdom. Your online business, it's an avenue of God's kingdom. Your fast food job, an avenue of God's kingdom. Your administrative job, an avenue of God's kingdom. It's the right season to think right about what I've set my hand forth to do. And in doing so, see my life prosper and my family transform. Just let me challenge you with something this morning. Nobody ever lands a dream job. Most of the time, people land nightmare jobs. But through simple stewardship, they turn into avenues of provision. Nobody ever marries the right person. You always marry the wrong person. But through simple stewardship, they become your person that God has specially made because one puts 1,000 to flight, but two puts 10,000. Now, you're, you're here today, and you're in this room, and there's a 1,000 different occupations, and some of you like to change jobs every four or six months. That's okay. But I want to challenge your perspective 
Because if you can think right about your nine to five Monday through Friday, then you don't have to live your life hating 50% of it. Now, I'm not just living for the weekend. Now, I'm not just living so I can finally get out of this place and I just hate this thing. And man, if I could just ever get rid of this old ball and chain that I call employment, I could finally come into fullness. No, you know what destroys people? Wealth without work. No, you know what destroys people? People you get handouts their whole life, they're always fed by somebody else, but they never learn the value of developing an ethic themselves. And when the people of God begin to treat their work as an avenue of God's mission, then what you're saying is I'm doing this unto him. Is it glamorous? No. Do I wish I got paid more? Probably. Is it always easy? Certainly not. But it's a primary way that God has planted me as a seed in this soil. Your vocation isn't an enemy, it's an avenue. And I don't want you to miss it when opportunity comes knocking on your door. No, your life doesn't start or stop in the context of a local church, but in him we live and move and have our being. The entirety of who I am is wrapped up in the entirety of who he is. And God receives joy and honor and pleasure when his people put their hand to the plow and don't look back. I just have a sneaking suspicion that even if 2022 goes in the wrong direction, God's people are gonna go in the right direction. <laughs> that even if in 2022 the markets crash, God's people are crowned with favor. That even when everybody else is losing their mind, you're going to keep your peace and your business is going to grow. I'm just going to believe on your behalf today that what is coming up is not your worst year, but your best year. And you can go ahead and turn off all the fear porn and the anxiety and the stress that comes out of your TV on a daily basis and just tune in to what God would say to be true about your life, your family, your fortune, your finance, and your future. We are not the tail. We are the head. We are not people of decrease. We are people of increase. We are seated in heavenly places. We are Abraham's seed. We've been engrafted into the root of Jesse, and these blessings now are catching up with you. So we're going to go ahead and declare, surely goodness and mercy will follow you even the days of your life. Come on, would you stand up and give God just a great shout, a great amen this morning. Come on, let me pray for you.